Welcome to another Abiding Thought. I want to uh, read a portion of scripture, and this is actually not the verse that I want to uh, reflect on, but it sort of gives it context. But in Exodus chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse 22, it says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And that's the verse I wanted to read. And let me just give a little backstory to that particular uh, passage. Two things have happened of great significance. Uh, actually, three. The first would be the release from Egyptian bondage a few chapters back, where the Lord led the children of Israel out of bondage and captivity to Egypt. The final step, uh, the final process in, in their release was the Lord killing of the firstborn of all of those uh, that were in Egypt who did not have blood over the doorpost. So they celebrated uh, and the Lord had them plunder the Egyptians and actually not plunder. He said, go and ask them and they will give you silver and gold for your journey. So we have the first thing is the Exodus itself. The children of Israel are released from captivity and remember that the Lord released them on the basis of his covenant promises to uh, Abraham. Uh, to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the patriarchs. That's why the Lord heard their plea, heard their cry while they were in Egyptian bondage, and he steps in and he redeems them, releases them from Egyptian bondage. Well, that's the first thing. The second thing is once they are released from bondage, they are on the road for a bit, and the Lord leads them through uh, in a particular route, and on that route happens to be the Red Sea. And we all know the story of the Red Sea, how the Lord parted the waters. But now hold in mind, the people got um, understandably antsy when they saw the troops from Egypt behind them and they were faced with the prospect of the Red Sea. And we understand their anguish and their concerns. It looks like they had been led into an ambush. But yet the Lord, as Moses turns to the Lord and he answers his prayer, opens the Red Sea, allows the children of Israel to pass through on dry land. And as they pass through, he destroys. And by the way, before he parts the Red Sea, he already disabled the army of the Egyptians. But in any event, when those uh, Egyptians that were remaining, they tried to pursue the children of Israel and as they get into the, 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 the passage where the sea had opened, the sea closed on them and they were drowned. And so we all think of that wonderful hymn um, from, the, from the slaves, really, you know, Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea. You know, oh, Mary, don't you weep, and Martha, don't you moan. Aretha Franklin did that song justice. But in any event, um, we have the parting of the Red Sea and the children of Israel going through on dry land, and the enemies are conquered. So that's event number two. The third thing that leads to this, this discourse, this, this verse, is after the Red Sea crossing, in 
Exodus chapter 15, beginning with the first verse. Actually, you have two compositions. You have the Song of Moses that goes basically from uh, verses 1 through 18. And then you have a Song of Miriam in verse 21. And in both of these songs, and obviously the Song of Miriam is much briefer. It's only, when I say obvious, it's, it's if you look at the passage, you see her, her song consists of one verse. And all she says is, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And she's just giving a historical summary of what has taken place. But the, the hymn of Moses is much more elaborate. And in his song, it can be divided along a few lines. One, we see in verses uh, 1, uh, 4, uh, and then 4 through 10, that he expounds, even as Miriam did briefly, but he expounds in greater detail in what God has done for his people redemptively. And he mentions what God has done. He says that, I will sing, um, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the same vein as Miriam. Uh, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. So he speaks more exhaustively about what God has done redemptively for his people. But also we see in verse 2 as well as in verse 11 that he exalts the excellence of the person of God. He acknowledges that God is great. He is greater than the army that pursued them. He is great. And I love especially in verse 11. It says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand, and the earth swallowed them. So he exalts the person of God. What we would say he focuses on the attributes of God and how God is good to his people. And then the third element of the song is that he exhorts and he encourages the people of God. Those who are the recipients of having been released from bondage in Egypt. Those who have experienced firsthand God delivering them through the Red Sea. He encourages them. He exhorts them. Though he, he encourages them to trust in the Lord. Look especially in verses 13 through 18. He says, you have, um, or beginning in, in verse 13, yeah, you have led in your steadfastness, in your steadfast love, the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble, pains have ceased the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone to, till your people, O Lord, pass by till the people uh, pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and you will plant uh, them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, 
which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. The reason that Moses is calling attention to these things and the, the effects of what he will do to the enemies that they have yet to face is not so much to inform God, but he's mentioning these future enemies really to encourage and lift the hearts of the people of God. And basically what, basically what Moses is doing is he is reminding the people to use this experience of the Red Sea as they face future conflict. This is a way of encouraging them that the Lord who redeemed you from Egypt, the Lord whose arm was, was, was sent forth, stretched out on your behalf at the Red Sea is with you both now and forever. And from many perspectives, we can say that what we see in the Song of Moses really is a good pattern for the composition of Christian hymns or Christian singing in general, that we should focus on what God has promised in terms of his word and what he has delivered in terms of the redemption of his people and the means by which he has done it for the purpose not only of exalting God and honoring him for who he is and what he's done, but also for encouraging the people of God. And so what takes place in our, in our moments of gathering when we worship is to we, we not only announce and affirm who God is and what he's done for us, but the purpose of it is to, to, for the people of God to give voice to his greatness, to his graciousness, to his glory. And that is also to serve the purpose of equipping us. Because when, we, when the worship is over and we go back into our experiences on our way to the promised land, so to speak, so to speak, uh, we there are going to be some obstacles. And just as Moses kind of reminds the people of God, even before they face the Moabs, even before they face the challenges of Philistia, even as they are new in their, in their wilderness journey, he's reminding them that the God whose hand was stretched out to open the sea and escape, not only escape, but in your escape, he destroyed your enemies. The one who released you from bondage back in Egypt, he is the one who will fight and be your strength in your future engagements and conflicts. And so that's what worship should do. It is to remind us of who God is and what he's done for us. And, and it should cause us to be encouraged and strengthened, not knowing what lies ahead of us. But, brothers and sisters, the children of Israel are very much like us. So those are the three events. Now, as we've gone over those things, you've probably forgotten the text that we read. Three things. Going to the, the first one is redemption from bondage. The second one is deliverance from a trial. And the third one is a season of worship and praise that celebrates God's victory over the Red Sea on behalf of his people and God releasing his people from bondage. And so after going through all of that, they get on the other side of the Red Sea after singing and they're in the desert. All of a sudden they get thirsty. Lo and behold, there's water. So, ah, there's the answer to our prayers, just what we need. 
but as they tasted the waters, the waters were bitter. And I know it's human, and I know thirst is a human reality. It's, it's one of our animal needs, that we have need for water. And to have a need for something, and by the way, being thirsty is one thing, dying of thirst is another. The children of Israel were thirsty. They weren't dying of thirst. We don't know how much time had transpired since they had crossed the Red Sea, but it seems to be, at least from the, the initial looking at the text, it seems to be that it wasn't that long. And I don't know if all of their water supplies had been exhausted, but in any event, even if they were on the, the brinks of dying of, of, of thirst, um, they had encountered a God who is able to deliver them from 400 years of bondage. A God that they had neglected to honor during the period of their captivity. They had stopped the, the practice of circumcision. They had neglected the things of God. But God, in spite of their obstinance, delivered them. Not because of them. He delivered them because of his faithfulness to his covenant. And then that same God opened supernaturally the Red Sea, allowing them to cross over on dry land. And the enemies that pursued them, the Lord consumed by simply closing the walls of water that allowed them safe passage. People get thirsty. And sometimes what we think is our solution to our immediate thirst ends up being a disappointment. But in spite of it, here's what they already have to their record. The God who controls the heavens and the earth is their strength and their provider. And here's what could have happened. Here's what you would think from such a high-powered song of worship and praise. You would think that someone would humbly petition him who opened the Red Sea. Someone would humbly petition him who set them free from Egyptian bondage and ask that he would direct them to waters that were fresh or if he were so willing to do that he would turn bitter water sweet. But instead, they grumble. God is gracious and he did turn the bitter water sweet. But I can't help but think of the three things that precipitated or that, that preceded this word of complaint. All they have experienced is grace. And in their moment of difficulty, rather than imploring God for wisdom, for patience, or even asking him to change the water, he's already extended his hand on their behalf. They complain. Now, that's historically true. This is what's recorded in the scriptures. And certainly we can use the idea of bitter water in a more of a metaphorical way. 
we can certainly make the connection that we sing praises to God and exalt him in all of his attributes. We acknowledge his strength being exerted on our behalf, even in the crucifixion of his son and the raising of him from the dead. But what happens when we leave our places of worship and we go down the street and metaphorically speaking, we encounter bitter waters. Brothers and sisters, I pray that our worship would fuel us for our challenges and our challenges would cause us to look to him that we exalt in our worship. God's faithfulness to us is real and his faithfulness to us includes strengthening us to deal with the bitter waters that he leads us to. He will either change the waters, change course, or in whatever way, by whatever means necessary, sustain his people in light of his promises and his provisions. I'm saying all of that to say this. Praise God like the children of Israel after the opening of the Red Sea. Worship him in spirit and in truth, but also look to him in our time of challenge. And may the zeal of our worship be converted to zeal in our trust when we encounter bitter waters. May God bless.